full of convenient and improbable coincidences, each of the boys left the inner town of his own accord, independently and without speaking a word to anyone, to try his luck in the big wide world. Some say this story is credible, boys being boys. Others say it is far-fetched, that it seems most unlikely that all five of these bright children, boys in their mid-teens with families and friends, would wander off suddenly and without warning. Among this group there are those who say that the boys have, in fact, been murdered, and that they are probably buried somewhere in the ruins of the old chemical plant, between the inner town and the sea, where their mutilated bodies will decay quickly, leaving no trace that could be distinguished from the dead animals and anonymous offal that people find out there all the time. This latter group gets restless on occasion, usually just after a new disappearance. They demand a full investigation. They want independent outsiders to come in and conduct an official inquiry. They write letters. They make phone calls. Nothing happens. Mostly, however, the town goes about its business, though these days it would seem that its sole business is slow decay. Of course, Morrison's business is to walk his beat, make himself visible, try to suggest that law and order means something in the inner town. This is his function, to be seen. But Morrison hates to be seen. He wants to be invisible. He wants, more than anything, to disappear. And on this warm Saturday afternoon in late July, he is out at his secret garden, weeding and clearing so the few flowers he planted in the spring might not be smothered by grass and nettles. To begin with, this makeshift shrine had been dedicated to Mark Wilkinson, the first boy to disappear the one that Morrison had, in fact, found. Later, though, it became more generic, a memorial to all the lost boys, wherever they might be. Nobody else knows about this garden, and Morrison always feels nervous coming out here, afraid of being caught out, afraid someone will guess what all this means. The shrine is fairly well concealed, because the event it commemorates happened, as such things must, in this hidden place, or somewhere nearby at least. Once he found the little garden kicked apart and trampled, the flowers uprooted, the glass and stones scattered far and wide, but he guessed right away that this was nothing more than the usual vandalism. Some kids from the inner town had come across his handiwork and smashed it without even thinking, in the routine way that kids from the inner town have in everything they do, but Morrison is fairly sure that they hadn't realized what the shrine meant and he simply built it up again, plant by plant, pebble by pebble, till it was, if anything, better than before. Whenever he can, he comes out here to maintain it. When yet another boy vanishes into the night, he extends it a little, adding new plants, new heaps of sand, polished glass and stone. He finds the best stones on Stargell's Point, his favourite place nowadays, because nobody else ever goes there. Even the kids avoid it. Everybody understands by now that the entire land under their feet is irredeemably soured, poisoned by years of runoff and soak away from the plant, but in most areas nobody quite knows the extent of that souring, whereas Stargell's Point was always recognized as a black spot, even back in the good old days, when the people believed, through sheer force of will, that the chemical plant was essentially safe. They believed, of course, because they had to believe, 
The inner town's economy depended almost entirely upon the chemical industry. More to the point, there were people in outer town, up in the big houses, who had an interest in ensuring that things ticked over without too much fuss. The inner town folk, the ones who actually worked at the plant, had from the outset been made aware of the appropriate precautions to be taken while going about their duties, but they had always been told, by the consortium, by the safety people, by all the powers that be, that the danger was minimal. They had wanted to believe they were safe because there was nowhere else for them to go, and they had wanted to trust the managers and politicians because there was nobody else for them to trust. Naturally, they worked hard on being convinced. In the early days, some of them even smuggled home bags of the stuff they were making out at the plant so they could spread it on their gardens. It was an act of faith, utterly perverse, and so, they hoped, all the more powerful.